right, let's see where we are today. Glad to see all of you here. Uh, good to see Vince back again and the Cerritos with us. I'm glad to have Mickey with us today. Mickey hasn't been here in a long time. And he said, well, it's always the same people here all the time. And I said, no, we got lots of new people. And look, he's turning around looking at them today. So good to have everybody here. We are going to be in Titus again today. So if you'll turn to Titus. I told you we weren't going to go through the whole book uh, verse by verse, and we're not. But Wednesday night we did cover the verses in between to where we're going to be. I want to read to you from uh, verse 9 through 15 in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 9 through 15. It says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now here's the verse we're going to have today. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise thee. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, we ask thy blessing upon the reading of thy word and upon the preaching of thy word that thy spirit will take it home to hearts, open hearts first of all, give us all understanding of spiritual matters. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Our verse says, For the grace of God, verse 11, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The grace of God. What a wonderful, mysterious word is that word grace. Its source is always God. Its object, always guilty, sinful, condemned people. What is it that guilty, sinful, condemned people need? just what grace brings, salvation. Not much of grace was known until Christ appeared. I'll show you why. Turn to John 1.14. John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it wasn't until the Word was made flesh, though, that this grace and truth was manifested. Now, don't let that part that says all men in our verse, let me see where we're back here to Titus again. Grace of God hath appeared to all men. Don't let the all men throw you for it signifies all sorts of men. For the Apostle Paul had just spoken of servants 
and bondmen as well as masters. The grace of God hath appeared to all men, that is, to the bondmen as well as to the masters, or any other situation of life that people can be in, all types of men. Now, grace here is taken as the gracious will and good pleasure of God to do good to men or to show mercy to the creature. Now, God's kindness and bounty to men is expressed in several terms, grace and mercy. They are similar in that they are both, that they both respect the creature. Now, God cannot be gracious to himself, and he can't be merciful to himself, as he loves himself and knows himself. Those terms do not fit God. But here's how mercy and grace differ. Grace signifies the freeness of God's love, and mercy relates to the misery of the creature. God's external motive is our misery, and his internal motive is his own grace. Now, mercy respects us as we are in ourselves, worthy of condemnation. That's where mercy comes in. Now, grace respects us as we are compared with others that are not elected. We had word death our throne people. If you have the question, why are any chosen to eternal life? It is out of mercy because they are all lost and undone creatures. Now, another question. If you, if you have another question, why are these chosen above others? The only reason is, is God's grace. What we call the good angels, or the angels that never sinned, are saved out of grace and not out of mercy, for they were never miserable. You see, there are elect angels and there are angels that fell. You've never seen an angel, you don't know an angel. But that's another world, and it's something that we'll be familiar with when we have our, our uh, redeemed bodies, have our resurrected bodies. We'll be capable of seeing and understanding that world, but we can't right now. We're limited by our flesh and blood. But men that were once miserable and condemned are saved, not only out of grace, but also out of mercy. Those two things must work together for the sinner's salvation. Mercy signifies that love of God which helps the miserable, and grace signifies a property in God to give forth things freely. No merit involved because there is none in man to give. Grace precedes all the blessings of the covenant from first to last, from election to glorification. God's grace supersedes everything. Now we'll talk about the first part, the election. Turn to Romans 11, look at verses 5 and 6. Romans 11, 5 and 6. It says, even so at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. 
And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more of grace, otherwise work is no more work. He's trying to get through to you that there is no connection between works and grace. The foundation and ground of salvation is God's election. And the impulsive cause of election is God's grace. Question time again. Why is there a remnant? Our scripture said there's a remnant according to the election of grace. That's election. That's why there's a remnant. Then why is there election? Well, that's God's grace. Now, our calling is another part where grace is involved. Election is eternal, but is known by God only. But in time, it becomes actual. There's a time in each elect sinner's life that the eternal purpose of grace breaks forth in a display of mercy to that sinner. Just as the heirs of salvation are distinguished from others by election, in the purpose and mind of God, so they are actually distinguished from others by effectual calling. All right, that's 2 Timothy 1 9. 2 Timothy 1 9. We don't know God's elect, we haven't the slightest idea. But when mercy falls in upon a person and they become spiritual minded and want to come to Christ or they do come to Christ, then that purpose of God in election is displayed in the sinner. That's what, that's what I'm trying to say to you. Here it says in 2 Timothy 1.9, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now why does God pick and choose? The only reason is his grace and his own purpose. There's no other explanation for it. There's no reason given. And it's almost as if God says it's none of your business. When we come to make a choice... We call and pick out those things that are worthy of our love and respect. We favor beauty, kindness, brightness, compatibility. But God saw nothing lovely in us, but yet called us with a holy calling according to his own purpose and grace. And the same gracious purpose that distinguished them from others before all time does in time make an actual choice and distinction between them and others by what we call effectual calling. The sinner's quickening is the Holy Spirit's calling card. Ephesians 2.1, we were there in our Bible class, but turn there again because some of you weren't here. Ephesians 2.1. I just said that the quickening of the sinner is the Holy Spirit's calling card. It says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now the interest that you now have in spiritual things that you didn't have before is a sure sign of new life. Before every birth there must be a conception. 
They are two very distinctive happenings, and the two are never confused in your thinking that they both happen at the same time. You know better. Now, there is a kicking, squirming, growing interval between the two, and so it is in the new birth. You grow as the Holy Spirit reproves of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's his work. That's Romans 16.8. We've been there time and time again. It says, when he is come, he'll reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Oh, yes, you kick and squirm as you grow, but you are chastened by a loving Father's hand who holds you until the day of delivery. Turn to Hebrews 12 and look at verses 5 through 8. Hebrews 12. There's a lot of people think that salvation is just a lot of fun, a lot of singing and smiling and rejoicing and going to church and everybody happy. It's really not like that. It's not like that at all because there's so many things contrary in this world including your nature against the things of God. But look at Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 8. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And if ye endure chastening, the God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? And if ye be without chastisement, wherefore are all partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Now it's not only fathers that should chasten the children, but I have experienced that grandfathers should do it too. But that's not part of our message today. Okay. The Holy Spirit teaches us about justification, and again, it's all of grace. Look at Romans 3.24. Romans 3.24. Being justified freely by his grace. You see that word grace always stuck in there with justification. Freely to note the readiness of God's purpose and by his grace to exclude the merit of our works. The scriptures go over and over and over again with these expressions because there's a deep-rooted prejudice in the proud heart of man against the grace of God. Man wants to do something toward his own salvation. Now, even faith, that gift of God that lays hold of the righteousness of Christ by which we are saved, is because of the grace of God. Turn to Ephesians 2, look at verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, for by grace, by grace, are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, 
lest any man should boast. See how I say they go over and over and over about no works involved. Grace is grace without any merit of man whatsoever. Now the same grace that gives Christ gives faith to believe in Christ that we may be possessed of his grace. Now as to glorification, when we get to heaven, our great work will be to sing the praises of God's grace and to admire and glorify the grace of God to all eternity. We said earlier, justified freely by his grace, but that is freely in respect of us. But there was a costly, priceless payment made by God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'll see in the rest of the verse. Look at Romans 3.24. We were there. I should have told you to hold it. But you see the rest of the verse says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because no merit could be found in us, God's grace appointed the merit of Christ as our justification. So we have a substitute. What grace that God gave Christ that the satisfaction of justice is not required of us. I mean, that is a wonderful gift to us. Nothing does so gloriously discover the grace of God as the freely giving up of Christ Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave. John 3.16. You want to speak at that one again? I know you know it. But look at it. God gave. Was he obligated to give? Are you kidding? No obligation whatsoever. Freely given. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was grace that moved God to give Christ and grace that moved Christ to give himself. Galatians 2.20. Well, let's see that one. Galatians 2.20. We're talking about Christ giving himself for sinners. This is the Apostle Paul saying, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then grace gives us faith that we may be interested in the merit of Christ. Subordinate to faith is obedience, which is a necessary fruit and effect of faith. It is not a condition of our salvation, but it is an evidence of our interest in salvation. The grace of God is the first moving cause. Christ is the meritorious procuring cause. Faith is the instrument, and obedience is the fruit of faith. Now, grace does two things. It brings glory to God and comfort to the sinner. 
There sure is no boasting in grace. Turn to Ephesians 2.9. We just did read that, didn't we? Ephesians 2.9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1.31. 1 Corinthians 1.31. It says, he that according, as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The grace of God comes rich with spiritual gifts. God gives, wants you to receive. Look at how it's expressed in the Old Testament. Isaiah 55, 1. Isaiah 55, 1. Most of you could quote that probably. At least once you see it, you'll say I could quote it. It says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth. That's the condition, the thirst. Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then the Lord is going to reason with you, wants you to reason. He says, why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Come by without, without money, without price. Now, nothing can be more dishonorable to God than the creature trying to buy or to merit anything having to do with his salvation. Grace comforts the elect sinner. It gives him faith. Faith gives him a hope. If we had to deal with justice ourselves, there'd be no hope. Justice only considers what is due and what we deserve, not what we need. Now, as wonderful and necessary as grace is, could you imagine anyone turning down an offer of grace? Well, they do. Turn to 2 Corinthians 6 1. 2 Corinthians 6 1. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. By the grace of God is there meant the offers of grace in the gospel. You receive it in vain when the message does not move you to repent and come to Christ. Hebrews 2.3 is going to give us the same thought. Hebrews 2.3 How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Now the greatness of the benefit aggravates the sin. It is a great salvation offered. There's an offer of pardon and eternal life. But it does you no good if you neglect it. There are folks who do not openly deny, reject, or persecute the gospel, but they receive it carelessly. 
and tactfully ignore it. You make God spend his best arguments in vain if you neglect this grace. God expects to receive glory from you for his grace. Look at Ephesians 1 6. Ephesians 1 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. See? You're to praise him for his grace. You praise artists for their work, workmen for their skill, musicians for their talent, athletes for their strength and endurance. Why shouldn't you praise the Lord for grace that comes only from God? On the other hand, it's a sure sign that a man hasn't got any grace if his heart is not stirred up to praise grace. Anyone who is an object of God's grace has cause to praise God above the angels and above other men. We've talked about angels before. The elect angels have never offended, so they are strangers to the workings of mercy and grace. Peter tells us that the angels wonder at the grace showed to us. Look at 1 Peter 1.12. 1 Peter 1.12. Peter says, angels will want to look into this thing if they could. It's the last part there. I guess we can read the whole verse. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, speaking about the prophets, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you, by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Here's what we're talking about. Which things the angels desire to look into. But not being a recipient of mercy, they can't. They don't know how. They just marvel that God has mercy and grace to sinners. If you are saved or want to be saved, why you? Why aren't you just like any other common person who is ignorant and careless about their soul? It's God that makes the difference. Turn to John fifteen sixteen. John fifteen sixteen. Here's our Lord speaking. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. There's your answer. And ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another, and if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, many of God's elect are as deep in sin as those that are now in hell. Yet God makes a difference. Now here's the example. Both the good and the bad thief were involved in the same condemnation. Yet one is taken into paradise and the other one went to condemnation. They were both guilty. God makes a difference. 
Now in our verse in Titus, hath appeared, let's take a peek at Titus again. I get Roman and I don't get back there myself. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared. It's like a light not seen before. It refers to the late manifestation of the gospel in the apostles' days. Now, we had a prophecy of that in Luke 1, verses 78 and 79. So turn to Luke. First chapter in Luke. First chapter in Luke, verses 78 and 79. A lot of chap verses in there, huh? It says, Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, what darkness there was before the eternal gospel was brought out from the bosom of the Father, from the bosom of God. That's all it was, was darkness. There was darkness both among Jew and Gentile. In all the earth there was utter darkness as to the, as to the knowledge of grace. Well, the Bible tells us it was a secret. It was a well-kept mystery. Turn to Romans 16 and look at verse 25. Romans 16, 25. 25 and 26. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandments of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. We're talking about the gospel. It's been, it was a mystery. It was a secret. But now with the preaching of the gospel, it's made manifest to all nations. Turn to 2 Corinthians 3.6. 2 Corinthians 3.6. It says, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. You see, there's a Spirit that goes along with the Gospel to qualify us for the duty of it. It says, who has made us able ministers through the Spirit. With the dispensation of the Gospel, God joins the virtue and power of the Holy Spirit with the preaching of the Word. Just the words of God's law, apart from the Spirit, appoints us to death and condemnation. If you was just to read the word, what you're going to find there is a lot of do's and don'ts. But when the Spirit acts, his part is the comforter to the individual. There is light, life, and hope 
found in the gospel. Look at 2 Timothy 1.10. We very seldom read that one, but 2 Timothy 1.10 is going to tell you the same thing I just said. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, life and immortality was rarely spoken of until Christ came in the flesh. Therefore, heaven is as sparingly mentioned in the Old Testament as temporal blessings are mentioned in the New. Now, in the New Testament, we hear much of the cross, of sufferings and afflictions. Why? Because in the gospel, there is much of heaven discovered. The eternal reward far surpasses any temporal considerations. Now, carnal people, people untouched by the gospel, are of a contrary reasoning. They want temporal blessings now and let God keep heaven to himself. Now, the great privilege of the gospel, life and immortality, are offered to you once more this morning. It's a moment of grace to your heart to remind you of your needy condition and to direct you to look to Christ. The only way, the only truth, the only life Again, that's John 14, 6. We've got a few minutes. We can look at that again to remind you there's no other way. There's no sacraments. There's no church. There's no religion. There is no other way to the Father but by Christ. And that's what he says. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is life in a look to Christ. Ignore closing with Christ and you'll soon experience the wrath of God upon this sinful world during the tribulation that will soon come upon all the world. How bad is it? We'll take a peek at Matthew 24, verse 21. Matthew 24, verse 21. This is coming. It hasn't come yet. It's right around the corner. None of us should die before this happens. That's how close we are. Matthew 24, 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. There's a time of tribulation coming upon the whole world. People don't want to believe that. Your religious world doesn't believe it. Some of them do, but not very many. Now, don't ask me exactly when. It's so close that if you knew the actual date, you'd be crying and begging continually until he saved you. May the Lord grant mercy this hour for all of our people. Let's bow our heads.
Father, we thank thee this morning for this somber message, but a great message. A message that brings life and hope to all who hear. That life and hope is in Christ, the perfect, satisfying substitute for sinners. Our God is well satisfied with the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be too. May all this people look to him, the only Savior, the only substitute for sinners. Oh, Lord, thank you for providing the Lord Jesus Christ for us. We pray in his name. Amen. You're all